grab your Bibles or your devices and flip or swipe to 1 Peter chapter number 3. While you are doing that, I am not releasing Bridge Kids because this is Family Sunday. Um, we switched it from the last Monday to, to this Sunday um, because a lot of our workers and students are at focus this weekend. That is a retreat slash conference for middle school students. Um, and so while you are flipping there, I'm actually going to ask you to, I'm going to lift up a word of prayer for them. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity for our students and workers who are at focus on this weekend. Father, I pray that hearts are being transformed, souls are being stirred so much in a way that they want to follow Christ. Pray, God, that there is a genuine desire to live for Christ, to indeed be fully devoted followers of Christ. Pray, God, that as a result of this, weekend, that it will not just be something that lasts for a few days or a few weeks, but this will be a lifelong transformation so that our students will live for Christ for the rest of their lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. First Peter chapter number three. First Peter chapter number three. beginning with verse number one. First Peter chapter three, beginning with verse number one. Actually, let's do something a little bit different. I'll start us off with verse number one. You will read the even verses, two, four, and six. We're reading from the English Standard Version. It'll be on the screen. Then we'll all together read verse number seven. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
I feel like we need to pray again after this text. <laughs> Lord, help us now. This is a challenging word. So give us open minds and open hearts. Let us not cave in to the culture of today, but hold to the truths of your unchanging and timeless word. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. This morning, I want to talk to you about gospel-centered marriage. Gospel-centered marriage. The values that we are teaching today are not popular. If I were to put this sermon into a book, it would not become a bestseller. And though we post our sermons on our website and podcast them, this one will not go viral. Today's topic could be seen as controversial and divisive or divisive. However, the fact that this word is in Holy Scripture must mean that it's for our good and for God's glory. It must be for our good since it has been preserved in God's inspired, infallible, and authoritative word. Some of you may be wondering this morning if this sermon is applicable to you. You may be saying, I wish I would have skipped this Sunday. Some of you may be wondering, should I really listen to Brandon this morning since I am not married? Well, I got a word for y'all. <laughs> I would argue that this text is very applicable because maybe one day you will be married. And the best time to prepare for marriage is while you're single. You, I think you should care about today's text, even if you remain single, because you yourself are called to disciple others, to teach them, to help them grow, to become more like Christ. And so this is an opportunity for you this morning to be equipped from God's word with biblical knowledge to help others in their marriages. So... With that being said, let's dive in. Peter begins this section with this adverb, likewise. And we know that when we have a word such as likewise or therefore, we have to go back and read the context. Because anytime you take the text out of context, all you have left is a, okay, Peter is writing to strangers and exiles who have been elected and chosen by God to be redeemed by his son, Jesus Christ, and to be sanctified by the Spirit. In verses 1 through 13, verses, in chapter 1, verses 13 through 21, he teaches them how they are to live out their hope in the midst of a hostile world. Primarily, his focus is, how do you live your faith in relation to God? And his word is, be holy. 
be set apart and devoted or dedicated to God. Then, in chapter, chapter 1, verses 22, chapter, through verse, chapter 2, verse 10, he teaches them how to live among one another. And he says, love one another. Now, chapter 2, verse 11, through chapter 3, verse 7, he's teaching them how they ought to live out their faith in society. Last week, we learned that all of us have a responsibility and a duty to be subject or submissive to governing authorities. And then we also learned last week that servants are to obey their masters, even the ones who are unjust. But what's interesting about that particular command to be subject for servants to be subject to their masters is he then goes on to give reasons or a reason as to why they should be submissive even to unjust masters. He tells them, he says, you should submit to even unjust masters because you, this is your calling. You've been called to suffer. How in the world is suffering a calling? Because Christ himself suffered. And he is our example for suffering because of doing good. Let me recall what Peter writes in verse 21 of chapter 2. He says, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Friends, that is a summation of the gospel, the good news. Because remember, the bad news is that God created us to, to worship him, to be committed to him, to follow him, to have all of our allegiance to him. But we failed in that. Our forefather Adam and Eve fell by committing treason, but they, they, they fell to honor and be loyal to their king by eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And here's what makes it so bad. What they deserve is death. Eternal separation from God. And because we are all sons and daughters of Adam, that, that sin nature has been passed on to us so that we too are children of wrath. We too deserve eternal punishment. But the good news, the gospel is that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die our death, to, to die in our place, to be our substitute. He suffered for us by hanging on a cross. He, he, he died. The old Baptist preacher would say, didn't he die? Stayed in the grave all night Friday night. I'm supposed to end the sermon that way, but I'm going to twist it. Stayed in the grave all day Saturday and all night Saturday night. But then this is where we get real excited. But early, 
Sunday morning, he got up with all power in his hands. And that's good news, friends. Because he died, we can live. Because he died, we can have eternal life. This is the gospel. And so Peter says, it's because of the gospel that you too will have to suffer in this world. So then, what this passage, what Peter does by giving us the gospel, and then by starting chapter 3, verse 1, with this word likewise, is he is showing us that submission is rooted in the gospel and not in the culture. Submission, brothers and sisters, is a fruit of the gospel. Submission is gospel living. And all Christians are called to it. He just told us we have to submit to the governing authorities. That's all Christians. We have to submit to our employers. That's all Christians. But then he takes out a specific passage to talk to wives. And husbands. He says to wives in verse number one, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word. Now, most of the times when you hear this or read this, you think Peter is only speaking to wives who have an unbelieving husband. But that's actually not the case. He's speaking to all Christian wives. Notice, he says, be subject to your own wives so that even if some, so there are some who may not obey the word, which means that there are also some who do obey the word. So he's speaking to all wives. And his word first to all Christian wives is submit. Be subject. To your husbands. But he specifically has a word to wives whose husbands are not yet believers, who have not yet believed the gospel. He says, don't leave them, but model the gospel in your home. So then, what does it mean to submit, Brandon? Well, I'm glad you asked. Actually, I want to start with by telling you what it does not mean to submit. First of all, submission to your husband does not mean agreeing with everything your husband says. <laughs> Go sit at the back. Submit. <laughs> it first does not mean that you'll agree with everything your husband says. Why? Because husbands are not omniscient. They are not all-knowing. We are fallible. Ha! I don't need your amen on this one. We make mad, bad decisions a lot of the time. So it does not mean that you agree with everything your husband says. Submission also does not mean your husband takes the place of Christ. Allegiance to Christ always takes precedence over allegiance to man. 
Wives, your duty to submit ends when the husband asks you to disobey Christ. Submission also does not mean leaving your brain at the marriage altar. Obviously, these women, in Peter's context, had thought thought through the most important issue of their life, Jesus Christ. Friends, having intellect is a part of being made in the image of God. And husbands, you should value the intellect, knowledge, and wisdom of your wives. Husband, listen to me. A husband that does not lean on the wisdom of their wives and seek input in making decisions from their wives is a fool. You don't know it all. God gave her to you to help you. So then... What in the world does this word be subject or submit means? It literally, in the original language, means to put oneself under, to arrange under. Think it's often used in military settings. Soldiers had a duty or have a duty to submit to those in higher rank. To submit means to be willing To submit means that you put your will aside in order to follow the will of another. So let me take a stab at a definition of Christian marital submission. Here it is. Marital submission is the divine calling of a wife to yield to the God-given authority of her husband. I'm going to give it to you again. Marital submission is the divine calling of a wife to yield to the God-given authority of her husband. Let's parse that definition. Marital submission is a divine calling. It's a divine calling. We see in this section in the section prior to this section, that submission submission is a calling that comes from God. For to this you have been called. This is something that God calls wives to. It's a divine calling of a wife to yield. That word yield, it means to give up, to surrender, to relinquish. In other words, this idea of yielding means that this is a call to voluntary submission. And it's not to be demanded or coerced by the husband. I I, 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 I think I will. (laughs) This idea of yielding to the authority of the husband means that it's a voluntary Submission. It's willing submission. 
and is not to be demanded or coerced by the husband. So marital submission is the divine calling of a wife to yield to the God-given authority. This authority, by the way, is a delegated authority. It's given to the husband from God. And so husbands, that's a high calling in itself. To be stewards of the authority that comes from the king of kings. It's delegated authority. You have the calling to lead. Can I just say something real quick? I need Christian husbands to just simply man up. No, 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 no. Now, I said lead, not dictate. Your job is not to be the dictator. You, 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 even though this passage, and I'm going to get there, I'll just go ahead and tell you, it talks about Sarah calling Abraham Lord. Uh-uh. You are not her Lord. When, when, Abra- when Sarah called Abraham Lord, that's equivalent to our sir. All she was was honoring her man. But she was not Lord in the sense, he was not her Lord in the sense that, that, that he was her master and her ruler. That only, the, the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that belongs to Jesus. Jesus is her Lord. So, brothers, you've got delegated authority from God. And guess what? Here's the thing. Because God gave it to you, he's going to hold you accountable for how you lead your wife. So let me get back to the wives. Wives are called to submit to their husbands. And let me, let me say this. This submission, Christian submission, has nothing to do with inferiority. Wives are not inferior to their husbands. This is about order. Structure. This is is a God-ordained order. We serve a God of order, not of chaos. This is about order, not inferiority. So he gives us, first of all, the responsibility for submission. Then he's going to tell us the reason for submission. He says in this text that the wife is to submit to her own husband because her submission may be the instrument that God uses to win that unbelieving husband over to Christ. Peter says that they may be won over without a word. Now, now, let let me say what it doesn't say, okay? What he's saying here is that certain, he is not saying that certain individuals don't need the gospel to be saved. In other words, it's not that they don't need to hear the gospel to be saved. Okay? This whole idea of lifestyle evangelism, it should go in concert with with the spoken gospel. The gospel has to be verbalized. How can they hear without a preacher or a messenger? The gospel has to be spoken and that person has to respond to the verbal gospel. But your 
Your conduct, your lifestyle ought to witness to the authenticity of that spoken gospel. What Peter is simply saying here is, is that your husband, your unbelieving husband, can be won over, persuaded, without badgering and nagging him with your words. Your conduct should be your witness. Your lifestyle should be your wisdom. Witness, And so your husband should be able to see how respectful you are and how pure your motives are. And then that will be a witness to the transforming power of the gospel. So the reason for submission in a mixed marriage, mixed meaning believing and unbelieving, is that they may be able to observe conduct, unbelieving husband may be able they may be able to observe their conduct and be won over, persuaded to believe the gospel. Let me just stop here and give you something for free. I think wives, wives-to-be, really wives-to-be, this is why you need to marry a Christian husband. This call to submit is hard. It's not easy. Okay. All right, I only got one amen. Let me prove it to you. <laughs> Do y'all remember what happened in Genesis 3? Eve gave the forbidden fruit to Adam and they both ate of it. God knew it. He came to them and he began to give them curses for being disloyal to him. Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, here's what it says. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing, and in pain you shall bring forth children. Here it is. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Our sin nature wants to rebel against authority, especially in marriage. Being submissive is contrary to the flesh. That's why it takes the Holy Spirit to do this. So, so I, I just think this is one thing. If you are getting ready to, to marry, you need to make sure that this person believes what you, what you believe when it comes to the gospel and to the word of God. All right, that's all the free stuff. So he's, he talks first of all regarding their behavior. Then in verses three through six, he talks to all wives regarding their beauty. Look at verses three through four. He says, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. So to all wives, he starts with this negative command. Do not let your adorning be external. Now, again, let me tell you what he's not saying. What he's not saying is you don't have to fix your hair or wear makeup. 
In other words, he, he's saying that that's, not a, that, that, that that's a sin. It is not a sin to fix yourself up. That's fine. What he's saying is, Peter doesn't want external adorning to be the only thing or the supreme thing. In other words, don't value outer beauty over inner beauty. This word adorning comes from the Greek word cosmos. It's where we get our word cosmetic and cosmetology. It has to do with order or orderly arrangement. Remember, we serve a God of order. Why would Peter bring in all this idea of outer beauty and adornment? Because you have to understand that in Greco-Roman culture, women put a high value on external appearance. Well-to-do women would keep up with the latest fashions. It's how they would spend considerable sums of money. So Peter is calling Christian wives and women to live counterculturally. He's saying, don't put all your time, energy, and resources to external adorning. Rather, cultivate inner beauty. He calls this inner beauty the hidden person of the heart. Friends, inner beauty is always more valuable than outer beauty. Why? Because inner beauty deals with the heart. That's who we really are. You can, listen, you can be pretty on the outside and ugly on the inside. I should have thought about that one. <laughs> you can be pretty on the inside. You can be pretty on the outside and ugly on the inside. And guess what? The ugly will always take precedence. Friends, the reason we need to focus on inner beauty is because inner beauty is imperishable. Outer beauty is temporary. Time starts to kick in. Hair thins. It starts to change colors. It falls out. Uh, things start to go south. <laughs> Wrinkles show up unexpectedly. Weight fluctuates. Let me read you a quote. Beauty, let me tell you something, being thought of as a beautiful woman. It has spared me nothing in life. No heartache, no trouble. Love has been difficult. Beauty is essentially meaningless, and it is always transitory. That's from actress Holly Berry, one of People Magazine's 50 Most Beautiful People. Inner beauty is lasting and eternal. So Peter says, if you're going to adorn yourself, adorn yourself with inner beauty. Proverbs chapter 31, verse 30 says, charm is deceitful. 
and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Friends, the reason inner beauty matters so much, according to Peter, he says it's because it's precious to God. That word precious means something of high value. It's costly, expensive. Inner beauty is highly valued by God. And, and, and I'm convinced, I, I've never been a woman, but I'm convinced that this should be liberating to women. Our culture places a high value on external beauty. So it's easy to become captive to what the world defines or describes as beautiful. But the Bible paints a totally different picture of beautiful. You can be beautiful to the world, but hideous to God. God places a high value on inner beauty. Woman, women of God, your character and your virtue is much more valuable than your makeup, your weight, or the size of your body parts. So I pray that some of this is liberating to some woman who's struggling, struggling with their external beauty today. Peter says, focus on the inner, because that is pleasing to God. And if I have to choose between pleasing God and pleasing man, I'm going to choose to please God. And if God be pleased with how beautiful I am on the inside, God be praised. Everybody else? Well... <laughs> Okay, let, let, let's talk about the reason for cultivating inner beauty. Not only is it because it's precious in God's sight, but it's also the example for us to follow from the women of old like Sarah. Verse 5 says, this is how holy women who hoped in God adorned themselves. Notice that the motivation for what follows is based on their hope in God. They trusted God to protect them and reward their faithfulness in honoring their husbands. This, Peter says, is an example to follow and proof that you are indeed a daughter of Sarah. In verse 6, he says, you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Whoa, 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 whoa. What, Peter? What do you mean by do not fear anything that is frightening? If it's frightening, I'm supposed to fear it. No, no, what Peter is saying here is, as women who are called to submit to husbands, especially unbelieving husbands, you may have fears. Fear him making the bad or wrong decision. Fear him taking advantage of you. Fear him not providing for you. Fear him not having enough to provide for you. Fear him running all over you because you're called to submit. And Peter says, no, no, no. Don't fear any of that. You hope in God. So, that is Peter's instructions to wives. That's six verses out of this seven-verse sermon. He leaves one verse for the husband's. Verse 7. So now we move from the instruction to wives to the instruction to husbands. Now, let me help you out, husbands. 
you're probably wondering, well, I, I don't have that much to work on. He, he only dedicated one verse to me. Well, let me bust your little bubble. First of all, <laughs> first of all, in Ephesians, you actually, you have to remember in context, Peter is dealing with those who are marginalized, the citizens, believing citizens, the slave. So he's dealing with those who are under authority. That's his focus in this section. Not those who have some authority. But also, secondly, the reason I don't want you to think that you don't have that much to work on is because when you actually have to read all of the Bible, when we go back to Ephesians chapter 5, that other passage that tells wives to submit to their husbands, in that passage, there's more words dedicated to the husband than there are to the wives. So actually, husbands, you've got a lot to work on as well. It's just that Peter's emphasis, Peter's emphasis are those who are under authority. But for some reason, he takes out the time to say, I also want to talk to you husbands. He, he gives them this responsibility in verse number seven. He says, husbands, I believe he's speaking to Christian husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. The original language says, dwell with your wives according to knowledge. Here's the lesson, husbands. Become a student of your wife. Learn your wife. Be an expert in your wife. Get a PhD in your wife. And as hard as this may seem, because we, can, we are complex individuals, Husbands, we are still are called to do it. So let me just get very practical for you, husbands. How do you learn your wife? You, 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 you learn things like, what's her personality? There's all kind of personality tests out there. One of the, cra one of the biggest crazes is, uh, or fads or most popular personality tests out there right now is the Enneagram. Well, if you are a person who believes in the Enneagram, you need to know your wife's number. I'm serious. This is how you dwell with her according to knowledge. Whatever. If you're a Meyer Briggs person, you need to find out, is she an extrovert or an introvert? You, you need to know these things. Oh, this is, ooh. Learn her moods. I'm moving on. <laughs> You, you, need to, you need to learn. What are her fears? What is it that keeps her, her leg moving and shaking so much? What is it that keeps her up at night? What is it that keeps her so stressed and tense? So now your husband, you're like, well, how do I do all of that? Well, <laughs> you know, first thing, anybody that knows me knows I like to read. So here's my first point of advice. Read a book. And sometimes you may have to read stuff where you don't want other men to know. For instance, I own a book that's entitled For Women Only. I want to know. <laughs> what y'all talking about? <laughs> 
Watch this. You may have to pick up a women's magazine. Let me tell you the very best thing you can do to do these things that I talked about. Talk to her. I ain't get no amens. Thank you. If you want to be an expert in your wife, talk to her. Let's actually, let me change that. Communicate. Because communication involves talking and listening. It's a two-way process. Encoding and decoding. Communicate. As I tell my two-year-old, husbands, use your words. <laughs> Use that maybe 30, 40% of the time. And the other 60 to 70% of the time, use your ears. There'll be a lot less arguments in your home if you stop talking so much and start listening. Since y'all brought up this idea of arguing, let me deal with that. I'm a, let me just talk to the husband since that's who I'm on right now. Husbands, why do you argue with your wife? I have never heard the bridge this vocal before in my life. But I'm glad you said that. I'm glad you said that. We argue because we want to win. Your wife is not an opponent to be conquered. Listen to her. And I'm preaching to myself because I still have this same struggle. Anybody that know who I'm married to, you know she's a very opinionated woman. <laughs> but I have to learn to listen. I have to just sit there and, and try to understand. And guess what? She, she says what she says, and whether I agree with it or not, my first thing is to make sure I understand what she's saying. How do you do that? So are you saying, oh, I heard you say X, Y, Z. Is that correct? And she'll set you straight, I promise you. <laughs> Communicate, man. <sighs> All right. I went off script, so let me skip some stuff. <laughs> Husbands, you need to know your wife's love language. If you believe in that, there's five of them according to the author. What are they? Acts of service, acts of service, physical touch, gifts, words of affirmation, quality time. They know. <laughs> you just heard them. Do you know? If that's how she feels love, you need to communicate to her in her language, not in yours. See, we got a lot of men who their love language is physical touch, and so you're always trying to touch her. And she's like, I don't want that right now. 
I just want to watch a movie. And what scares all men, I just want to talk. <laughs> or go buy me something, get me something. You've got to learn. You have to dwell with your wife according to knowledge. It's the word of God. You can't lead who you don't know. Or you can't lead them well. All right. As you can see, I'm more passionate about husbands because God has called us to lead. And the problems in our churches, the problems in our world, I think it falls back on leadership. Especially in the church. Man, it's time to man up. And lead like Jesus. See, see, y'all heard me preach about this, so I'm going I'm to preach on it again. Yeah, wives are called to submit. But husbands, we're called to love our wives as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He served the church. So yeah, they submit, we serve. How did Christ, how did Christ serve? He died for her. All right. What wife wouldn't want to submit and follow a, a man like Jesus? So maybe if you're having challenges in your marriage, you need to look inside yourself and say, how am I not like being like Christ to my wife? I pray that our wives see more of the Savior than they do Satan in us men. Let's go. He says, Peter says to husbands, you need to show honor to your wife. That word for honor can also be translated price, value. Show her how valuable she is to God, how valuable she is in Christ. Treat her in a way that dignifies her value in Christ. Show reverence and respect to her. He says, show honor to her as the weaker vessel. Well, that just opened up another can of worms. What does this idea of weaker vessel mean? You've heard me say this before. Most preachers, most scholars say this idea of weaker vessel deals with how we are put together biologically. In other words, we should show honor to her as the weaker vessel in the sense that she is physically weaker than us because of the way God has put us together. Others say that she's weaker intellectually. Give you context. Wives were, were just, they were expected to follow the religion of their husband. They were not as educated as men were in that context. So one way people say that he's dealing with intellect here because he just said dwell with them according to knowledge, so he must be talking about intellect. And I say boo to both of those. I believe she's weaker based on her position. She is the one who's called to submit to her husband. So she's weaker in the sense that she's more easily to be exploited and taken advantage of. So instead of shaming her, honor her. Instead of taking advantage of her and exploiting her position, give her a position of honor. 
So he says, here's the responsibility. He's given the husbands the responsibility. And now he gives them the reason. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Actually, let me deal with that real quick. We, uh, I did not get permission to share this, so hopefully I don't get in trouble. I was at small group last week. Uh, here we go. I won't tell you which one. I was at small group last week, and um, we, we did a round of introductions, and we were being silly, and we were talking about tell your name um, and your rank. And, uh, and so somebody said, yeah, my name is so-and-so, and I'm the small group leader. Uh, and so I said, yeah, and I am Brandon, and I'm the lead pastor. I rank you small group leader. <laughs> so then it finally got around to a woman, and uh, this was last Sunday, and she said, my name is so-and-so, and I'll tell you my rank after next week's sermon. <laughs> I liked it. I liked it. I really did. So all the women of God, let me give you your rank. You're a co-heir of the grace of life. That's your rank. You are equal in your, with your husband. You too have been created in the image of God. You have be, been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. You are co-heir with them and all the inheritance that we have with Christ. You are not beneath your husband to be trampled upon. No, you are equal with them. So that's how we live with you, husbands. That's how we live with our wives, as someone who is equal to them in Christ. Remember, according to Paul in Galatians 3.28, that there is no longer Jew nor Greek. There is no, no longer slave nor free. There is no male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. There's your rank. So then, the reason, then, that we love our wives these, in this way because they are equal with us. Though we are equal, we still have different roles. That's how God created it to be. But husbands, there's another reason you ought to live with your wife in this manner. And this is crucial. If you fail to love your wives in a Christ-honoring, God-glorifying way, it will be a barrier between you and God. God says, when you fail to live with your wife according to knowledge, and when you fail to honor her, we got beef. God says, your prayers will be hindered. Husbands, when you fail to dwell with your wives according to knowledge and honor them, Heaven will become death to your request. Your prayer life is affected by how you treat your wife. So mistreating your wife has enormous consequences. Mistreating your wife causes you to get a busy signal from heaven. God says that you and him cannot be in fellowship as long as you are not upholding and affirming the value and inherent dignity of your wife. 
So men, if your prayer life seems to be ineffective, check out how you're treating your wife. God essentially says, I will treat you like you are treating your wife. If you're hearing her, I'll hear you. If you're not hearing her and not honoring her, he says, I won't hear you. So friends, this is gospel-centered marriage. Worship team, you can make your way back. We all, we all are called to submit. The greatest example of submission is Jesus Christ himself. He submitted to the will of his father by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And if we are going to be fully devoted followers of Christ, then we must embrace submitting. There may be someone here today you have not yet submitted, surrendered, relinquished the rights of your life to Jesus Christ. The call for you today, man, woman, boy, or girl, is to surrender your life to Christ by committing all of you, mind, body, and soul, to Christ and Christ alone. Why do you need to submit to him? Because you are a sinner. You deserve eternal punishment from God in hell. But God sent you by the Bridge Church on this Sunday morning so that you will hear that he loves you. He loves you so much that he has sent his one and only son to die your death in your place so that you could become a child of God, so that you could be forgiven of your sins, so that you could have eternal life. And so the response who is not yet following Christ is this. Turn to Jesus by faith, by trusting in Christ and Christ alone. Not your good works, not your good behavior, not that you grew up in a Christian household, but in Jesus Christ alone can you be right with God. For someone else in this room today, you are saved and you know you are saved. The response for you is in our text. It's a call to submit. It's a call to honor. It's a, it's a call to value the things that God values. Inner beauty. Affirming the dignity and worth of your spouse. It's a call to submit. It's a call to serve. So maybe this week the application is Men, communicate. Listen more. Talk less. Men, do you honor your wives? Don't, don't, don't answer that question alone. Ask your wife, do you feel I honor you? Have the hard conversation. If she says no, that's your time to listen. Not your time to defend yourself. 
Now your time to list off all the things you do. Not the time to tell her how hard you work to support her. Your time to listen. She's expressing her heart to you. She is giving you your action plan. Wives, do you willingly and voluntarily submit to the leadership of your husband? This idea, but this is not just for wives. This is for really all Christians. What does your lifestyle say to the unbeliever? We have this model that how we live affects our witness. And so some of us need to think this week, how am I living before the world? What does it say about my Christ? Let's stand.